Hi, I'm Will Brown, and I'm a senior reporter at Tortoise. I just wanted to flag something before we begin. In this episode of The News Meeting, you'll hear me pitch the leak of US intelligence documents as the story of the week. When we recorded this episode, we didn't know who had leaked the papers. But things have changed quickly since then. A 21-year-old from Massachusetts has now been arrested. The New York Times has said that Jack Teixeira worked as an Air National Guardsman based in Massachusetts and that he would have had security clearance. Now here's this week's episode of The News Meeting. Hello and welcome to The News Meeting, where we bring you into the newsroom to hear the arguments that happen in meetings just like this every day. I'm Rachel Johnson. I'm a journalist. I started on the FT and my career has taken a downhill slalom since then via The Lady magazine to The Mail on Sunday. I'm also a broadcaster. I started at the BBC. I now host a podcast for Global and I present a show on LBC. In this episode, three tortoise journalists will pitch the story that they think matters most this week. Together, we're going to make sense of them. And at the end, it's my job to make a judgment about the running order, what leads, what follows, and in what order. So, from Podimo and Tortoise, this is the news meeting. And it's great to be here as the editor for this week's news meeting. Here to pitch their stories are Katie Gunning. She's a journalist and podcast producer at Tortoise, who used to work for BBC Radio. Hi. Jeevan Varsager, who is Tortoise's climate editor. He's been a Financial Times correspondent in Singapore and Berlin and was Nairobi correspondent for The Guardian. Hi, Rachel. And Will Brown is a senior reporter. Before joining Tortoise, he worked as the Telegraph's Africa bureau chief in Nairobi and The Economist's West Africa correspondent in Dakar. Hi, Rachel. Before we hear what they think mattered most this week, here's a quick reminder of what's happened in the past seven days. By the last count, around 100 pages of classified slides and briefing materials from the Pentagon have now been found floating around the internet. We will continue to investigate and, and turn over every rock until we find the source of this and the extent of it. Now it's a Labour Party accused of going too far, with a tweet that reads, Do you think adults convicted of sexually assaulting children should go to prison? Rishi Sunak doesn't. I'd rather be at work. I feel really guilty not being there. It feels more and more defeatist as we go on, and I think we're seeing more and more people leaving the NHS. I called Lucy, no answer. I called Maya, no answer. I called Rina, no answer. But alas, our family of seven is now a family of four. Okay, let's find out what my guests think we should be covering. We'll start with long stories short. Please make your pitches fewer than 11 words, i.e., the length of Rupert Murdoch's divorce email to Jerry Hall. Katie first, what's your story? Mine's much shorter. Menacing manoeuvres. Right. Jeevan? Down in the dumps. <laughs> oh, the mind boggles. <laughs> Will? Gamers, guns and leaks. Right. Well, let's get into your stories in more detail. Katie, what's yours and why do you think it's the most important? So this, the story I'm pitching this week is the story of a massive military exercise carried out by China over the weekend. In effect, a dummy run of what the first stage of an attack against Taiwan might look like. So it wasn't, it wasn't the biggest such exercise they've ever carried out, but it was different and potentially more menacing. So 
it began on Saturday, ran for three days. Picture fighter jets, ships, warplanes taking off from an aircraft carrier early, warning aircraft, jamming aircraft, all of that military hardware used to carry out waves of simulated attacks against Taiwan and not just from the direction of mainland China, but also from the east, from the sea. It was a huge war game which essentially sealed off and encircled Taiwan. And that's why this story matters. It's that simulated sealing off, that dummy run of a blockade, if you like, that makes the story really worthy of attention. Because if you've stopped to think about what an invasion of Taiwan might look like, you might picture attacks coming from the air and amphibious landings of troops, a a massive exercise. But in fact, in reality... Analysts tend to think that any invasion of Taiwan would be preceded by a blockade. So kind of wargaming that exact scenario is really important. And although this exercise disrupted the skies and the seas around Taiwan for a few days, the fear is that next time it might be longer, might be more disruptive, and then it might go on for weeks and so on. So what would that mean for us? The fact that we the rest of the world, are dangerously reliant on Taiwan for semiconductors. They make 60% of the world's supply. Um, Going into your smartphones, all AI, the parking sensor on your car, so many different things, and they're all beginning life in Taiwan. So I think, as a story, it has that dramatic scene at its start, you can that that we've just seen carry out for three days in the South China Seas. But it brings in a much bigger story about China's ambitions in the Pacific, the role of Taiwan and, and of course, what the US might do. We know that they don't officially recognise Taiwan, that for years they've had this policy of strategic ambiguity, but that more recently Biden has said he would defend the island if it was attacked. But it's much less clear if a siege would trigger that same response. Um, and what about the rest of us? We had we saw President Macron come back from his trip um, and urging the EU not to get caught up in crises um, that are not ours. And so you're, you're left wondering quite how everyone would play if it was a siege-like mentality rather than an all-out attack. Mm, it sort of reminds me of when Putin placed 100,000 troops on the border between Ukraine and Russia and everybody went, oh, he's just got 100,000 troops on the border. And in the same way that, you know, we were asleep behind the wheel in 2008 when it came to Georgia and 2014 when it came to Crimea. And then when he obviously was preparing to invade Ukraine and said he wasn't. Are we in a similar situation, do you think, with China and Taiwan? Is this basically a dress rehearsal for a full-scale assault? And if it is, this is a massive story. Yeah, it's a, and I think that the, the Ukraine um, comparison is really useful because if you also, right up until the troops cross the border, there were very strong voices saying he's not going to do it, he's not going to do it. And you, As a world, we aren't keen to wake up to the reality of what could actually happen. And a conflict in Taiwan would would potentially have a much bigger impact on the rest of us. I mean, obviously, we've all seen what the Ukraine war has done to um, in terms of bloodshed, but also in terms of supply chains and energy. But a conflict um, in Taiwan could be even greater. And so it feels like a, a bigger warning sign. And because we've just learned the lesson of Ukraine, that maybe we need to sit up and take notice when things like this happen and and use them as a reason to, to focus on And it. has Beijing indicated that this is a precursor to an actual invasion? And what I think it's called an anaconda encirclement of the island. So they basically just basically squeeze the life out of Taiwan 
and recapture it that way. I don't think that they've been explicit in what they're trying to do with their actual tactics. We they they do seem to be quite explicit as to why they carry out because these Because Putin exercises. said he wasn't going to invade. I just wondered what Beijing is saying. They have never ruled out okay. um, taking using military force to take back an island that they consider to be theirs. Okay, let's open it up. Jeevan, do you think this should this should lead? Um well, I think the question about this story, Rachel, is um, there are obviously lots of moments in history when wars don't happen. Uh, the Archduke is shot and nothing happens. Um, is that a point at which there should be a new story uh, or shouldn't there? You know, the First World War, there were many moments leading up to the First World War when war could have broken out between European powers and it didn't. Um, obviously, a war between Taiwan and China would be cataclysmic. I think just my question here on this story is, um, are we calling this moment as the moment where we can see a conflict is about to begin? And if, if the answer to that question is is yes, then I think it should lead. But I'm not sure the answer to the question is yes. What about you, Will? I think I, I echo some of some of some of Jeevan's points. I think I think if you look at some of the, I mean, obviously, look, a war in Taiwan would be absolutely catastrophic on a level which would make kind of Russia's invasion of Ukraine look like a warm up act. I guess one of the questions is whether or not, I mean, this encirclement in the actual event of a conflict, would this ever come to pass? Could they do this? And I think from the the kind of if you look at some of the war games which have been run by people at CSIS or or, or whatnot in in Washington DC, they say that basically the war's over in a very, very quickly. That the that the that the Chinese and the Americans will basically obliterate each other within a within a few days or, or minutes because their the weapons are now so strong, so powerful that they can just and so quick. So Okay. Is that it, a good thing? Well, I'm just saying. I'm just saying. No, it's not. It's an absolutely terrifying prospect. But I'm saying when it relates to to Katie's story, which is the idea of an encirclement, this encirclement would probably never come to pass. Except for that there's a there's a there's a possibility that this is a scenario which is perhaps more likely than the cataclysmic event that you've just painted a picture of, because. China themselves are massively implicated by an all-out war against their immediate neighbour. This squeezing um, and uh, of their territory is perhaps something that's more likely to happen because one, because the other attack is incredibly hard. Um, what, there was a Chinese official; they said that these drills aren't as obvious, but they're closer to the actual state of war. So it seems like in Taiwan they could see this scenario of being blockaded as more as more worrying in the immediate future than the all-out war. Jeevan, it's your turn. Tell us about your story and why do you think it matters? So, Rachel, my story is about um, who we are as a country in Britain and who we want to be. Um, There are some figures out this week which were obtained by the Lib Dems showing there were more than 3,000 large-scale sewage dumps in England's rivers and seas last year, up from 2,000, they say, in 2021. Uh, And these are what's called high-frequency spills. So they're a big leak and water companies are supposed to investigate them. In fact, they're obliged to investigate them. And I should say at this point, the government disputes these figures and they say that what the Lib Dems have presented doesn't quite align with the official data. But I did look at the official stats as well and there were a lot of spills last year. There were 300,000 occasions when sewage was spilled on into rivers or or into the sea. Now, um, we're sort of familiar with this as a story. We know that it's in the background and we know that, you know, privatising water hasn't been this really glowing success story. The water companies have just taken on a lot of debt. They haven't invested enough and they've paid out loads of dividends. So they've, they've, you know, that's really been a kind of waste of time. But what interests me about the story is that it's become a political issue 
in a way that climate change has not. And I'm, I'm climate editor at Tortoise. I'm really interested in how climate intersects with politics. Um, and I'm really interested in the fact that sewage has really galvanized people, that people really care about rivers, or, or at least people tell themselves that nature is something they care about. And, you know, we're obviously, we tell a story to ourselves that we're a nation uh, that loves nature. We've got all this sort of poetry that fetishizes nature, art that fetishizes nature. Um, but we actually treat nature really badly. So the reality of Britain is that our wild places and our wildlife is actually in a worse condition than nearly anywhere else in the world. And we obviously really need to rethink that. We're ultimately a part of nature. We can't afford for it to collapse. So what excites me about this story is that sewage has become the one issue where we understand how fragile this connection to nature is and how much we need to do to fix it. Um, and that's why I think this is a story that ought to lead. Mm. Well, you've you've made a valiant effort to make sewage sexy, I must say. Um, but quest- So you would peg this to... The, the Lib Dems um, discovery or exposure of data that hasn't been collected by the Environment Agency or has? Is so the, it separate data? Yeah, so the Lib Dems are saying this, these are figures that come from the Environment Agency. And I think that the sort of question is of, about how they're interpreted and whether yeah. whether the right interpretation has been put on them. I, but I think what's interesting about this is the fact that the Lib Dems are, are campaigning on it. So the, the, the local elections are next month. Both the Lib Dems okay. and the Labour are using this as a way to attack the Tories. Um, they think there are votes in this, which is which is extraordinary because in in general there aren't votes in environmental questions. You know we have we have a single Green MP in this country. Um, so 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 why is it that this is a galvanising issue? I think there are two things here. One is the fact that it's it's taken off as a political issue, and the other is that a fact that it tells us something about how how we're managing water, which is, you know, as we know, this precious, precious resource. We know we're going to run short of water in a few years' time because of climate change. Uh, and we're doing really, really badly at managing, uh, managing our access to water. Yeah, well, I mean, I don't deny it. I, I feel this is hugely important. Everybody drinks water. It's, it's vital national infrastructure. It's my view that this needs root and branch reform and the water companies need root and branch reform as well. We've got to start again. We've got a Victorian system which combines, um, which uses clean, drinkable water to flush away our waste. And other countries have a grey water system where you don't have to uh, flush away waste and sewage using water that you will later have to drink. So right from the beginning, we need, I mean, we need a political party to grip this completely and to Absolutely. and to actually put the investment in to redo the Victorian infrastructure. No, the Tories have all just voted against this, of course, so which is why this can be a wedge issue for the Lib Dems and the Labour Party. Um, Will? I don't want to muddy the waters at all here, um, but I, I do feel that why now? You know, why should we be leading the news on this now? This is a story which has been around for six months, if not a year. You can correct me if I'm wrong. Um, and is this really, you know, the top story in the world today? I'm, I'm not entirely clear on that. Would you lead the bulletin with it today? Why? I mean, when this, as we know, has been going on. I mean, this is part of the story. This is the frequency of this occurrence. So we need to explain to listeners, viewers, readers why it's so critical that they read this story this week. So I guess one kind of journalistic and political framing to put on it is to say, why are the Lib Dems, you know, whether or not these figures are valid, why are the Lib Dems campaigning on this? Why does anyone care what the Lib Dems are campaigning on? Why do they think think the government is vulnerable on this? Strikes me as interesting. Katie, would you be happy to see the dirty man of Europe lead the news? I, I Are you really, talking about me, Rachel? <laughs> <laughs> Not yet. I really like I really like the story, and I 
I do think it's extraordinary that all this time passes and in the 21st century we still have rivers that you can't swim in or you know and I don't swim in the UK rivers but I aspire to but I worry with it's partly as Will was saying that I'm not sure that there's a a big enough peg for doing it now that the fact that it's become a battleground in the local elections is interesting but I don't know if it's enough to to totally cut through sewage to me feels like one of those very important subjects that bubbles along in the background a bit like potholes people feel really strongly about it but it's hard to actually cut through and 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 I'm not sure that the local elections is enough of a of an in hmm okay hello I'm Giles Wittell tortoise's deputy editor On the News Meeting podcast, we try to make sense of what should be leading the news with three guests who each pitched the story they think matters most. And once a month, we record a live episode in our newsroom. The next one is on the 27th of March, and I'm going to be joined by the brilliant author and podcaster Elizabeth Day. To come to the event and tell us what you think should lead the news, go to tortoisemedia.com forward slash book. That is tortoisemedia.com forward slash book. Thank you, thank you for your your views on on Jeevan's story. Let's get to you, Will. What's your story for this week? When why should it lead? So I'm going to go straight out there and say that I think my story is a once in a decade event. I think it's a moment where the curtain is rolled up ever so slightly, ever so briefly, and we catch a glimpse of how power and geopolitics really works in the world. So basically, as you probably already guessed, the story is about um, at least 300 top secret Pentagon documents have been spaffed all over the strange places of the internet. And they first emerged on these tiny gaming forums, gaming forums, gun forums, and they're only just bubbling up this week. And I think most of these seem to have originated from, well, all of them seem to have originated from one tiny Discord group. Now, Discord is a chat which is popular with gamers, and this is a, there was a very small group, probably about less than two dozen people. It was an invite-only group, and mainly this group was dedicated to discussing guns, Minecraft, which is a game lots of, kids, lots of your kids will play or whatnot. Sorry to interrupt, but is there any idea how a member of that Discord group had access to these top secret documents. So I'm going to come to that in a bit, but basically, yeah, there was one member of this group who was the so-called leader uh, who had classified... Uh, he worked. It seems, according to the Washington Post, he worked on a military base and had access to classified material. And he basically started, it seems, as of this morning when the report came out, that he was posting this material on the group. And... I think as a way of showing off to them. And so I managed to get 56 of these documents uh, from Security Contact. And I thought we've, I know we're an audio pod, a podcast, but I thought I'd bring in a prop, which so you can have a look at some of them. So how did you find these, Will? I had a Security Contact. Okay, so this see. is a scoop, is it? So you, well, you're... I think I've got 56. The Washington Post have more than 300. Okay. So I think they're, um, they're really on it. But you can just see from some of these things the level of granular detail. And so I just, I'm going to quickly run through some of the major findings just for people who don't know, haven't really been following the story. But as you can probably see from some of these documents, they contain the locations of Ukraine's air defence systems. Uh, now, I've been in cities when they've been shot at by Russian missiles, and I can tell you those air defence systems are really 
damn important. And they save hundreds, if not thousands of lives. Uh, and it also tells you that these missile, these, these uh, missile defense systems are about to run out of missiles to defend their civilians. And it also, there's a whole other manner of leaks involved in this. For example, there uh, it shows us that the US has been spying on its allies. It's been spying on Zelensky, on South Korea, on Israel, on Ivory Coast and Egypt. Um, I think the last big tump of something like this was Julian Assange WikiLeaks, WikiLeaks yeah. 10 years ago. There are 1.25 million people in the US who have this kind of classified intelligence. And it's, yeah. million people have access to all this stuff that the Russians can use to bomb air positions in, air defense positions in Ukraine. Exactly. Um, What do you think? Um, I I guess my question about this story is that I feel it might be a bit of a process story. Um, I feel that the process of it is is kind of intriguing that the, the, I mean, it's amazing to me that a million people have access to these documents. But do the are these actual revelations? I mean, is this a bit the Pope's a Catholic? You know, the U.S. is spying on its allies. There are Western special forces in Ukraine. Uh, the Saudis aren't friends with Washington. If you were asking last Egypt, week, Egypt uh, is a, is playing a double game. I could probably have said most of these things were, were the case last week. But will any of this matter in a month's time? I'm I'm not sure. There might be things in these documents that we haven't found yet. Um, but all the headlines that I've heard have basically been confirmations of, of things that we we all already knew. Katie? My, my worry is that we're we're in a possibly in a misinformation space. We don't we, they do sound as will said that it does a lot of them do sound like they they are correct but we, you are left wondering if it is what used to be known as psyops or you know that they that have been used in wars throughout history. We've seen lots of denials the ministry of defense have countenance you know that that we should should look carefully at the documents that have come through. So I'm I'm left sort of unnerved about what they reveal but where i love the story is i do think that part of how this it, how it emerged is completely fascinating and the fact that some guys on a discord channel chatting about minecraft and he then he's trying to win an argument and he releases some documents and what i learned when i was reading about it is that gamers have got form on this so there's a um there's a game called war thunder and Last year, there were two separate releases of information by gamers on War Thunder having an argument about tanks. And so at one point, someone released a whole bunch of information about the UK's Challenger tank because they were trying to win an argument. A bit later, the same thing happened with the French tank, something called a Leclerc. And some gamers are arguing about how quickly you can turn the turret or something. And so they issue and then they release these. And it just makes me think this is what similar things happened with Discord. I don't agree with you, Katie, about this being, you know, the origin of this story is more interesting and important than the story itself, because I think that from the little I've heard from Will on this coming at it quite cold, and I think much more could come out. And I think it's extremely um, interesting to see that the projections on how the war is going to develop, uh, how short of of the serious munitions Ukraine is. This is an absolute gift to Russia. I mean, we'll, I'm going to let you go into that once more, I think. That's great. No, I, I appreciate all your points. I think um, I think we should certainly, just to come to your point, we should certainly be unnerved by this and we should certainly be uh, be dealing with it with a very, very healthy dose of scepticism. And to, and to, to your point, um, I don't no know what crystal here. ball you have, but I didn't know a lot of this already. And I think kind of what, what is kind of quite extraordinary about this 
is, um, yeah, okay, we might have heard this chatter from different analysts who are slightly in the know. We might have heard them kind of, you know, indicating something as much. But when you see this laid out in, in black and white, in Kodachrome, whatever, however you want to describe it, I mean, just one exclusive that we at Tortoise pulled out from these papers just just within a few hours of getting them was the fact that um, that the US suspected there were, uh, suspects or thinks or knows that there are Wagner mercenaries in an African country we didn't think they were before in, in Burkina Faso. I didn't know that. I think that's an extraordinary revelation. And this is something you would work as a journalist. I know journalists who have worked for months to try and build up that to build up that kind of story and have failed. So so and this is just dropped onto our dropped onto our laps. So um yeah, I do think it's uh I think it's important and relevant and of course we should take it with a healthy dose of skepticism, but it doesn't mean it shouldn't lead the news. I guess my question about it is is there one headline to this story or is it the sort of story where you say well it's important for these sort of six or seven small stories which have come out of it none of which are really dramatic or really ultra our understanding of the world yeah i I, th- I think that i think that's a valid point i think it's such a big story that you could say what's the top line i personally would go for the top line of tracking down this one looking at this one guy i think that is important yeah I, I, th- I agree i think that's an interesting aspect to it that that the, the the gen the genesis of where it comes from yes but then it turns into a chelsea manning uh, julian assange story rather than a what does this tell us about the geopolitical story that has consumed the world for getting on a year and a half okay but those stories also perhaps they lived longer in our imagination and they led the news because they had those names attached to them those are the stories in a moment i need to make a decision about the running order which one leads what follows and in what order Before we do that, though, I want to know which one you think matters most, but you can't choose your own. Katie. I'm going to go Pentagon leaks and the the strange man at the beginning of it all. Okay, Jeevan. So the story that I think I'm most interested in is Taiwan. And the the aspect of it that I'm most interested in is the point that Katie made about uh, the world's semiconductor supply or semiconductor supply chain being so intrinsic to Taiwan. And I'd like to know what the alternatives are and what's going to happen if there is significant disruption. And Will? I think I would also go for Taiwan, simply because if you look at even just kind of the amount of planes China has sent into Taiwanese airspace, uh, I think last year it was 1,700 planes they sent in. This year it's 2,400. It's quite extraordinary rises. And Xi Jinping has said that he has told the, the People's Liberation Army to prepare for war. It's a very scary scenario. Well, it's my editorial duty as I'm sitting here keeping James Harding's chair warm for him to say what I think. And I do think it's it's really tough, this one, because we've got two world wars, one which is ongoing, which is what we're seeing in this dump of Pentagon Papers. We've got the other dump of sewage um, in, throughout our waterways and rivers, which makes all that wild swimming that we read about in The Guardian so unpleasant. And we've got a prospective world war when we see what China's up to in Taiwan. So it's very, very, very hard to choose two foreign-ish stories, one domestic story. Um, I'm going to have to come to some sort of decision. I think that Will, I thought that your opening pitch was very dramatic, but I think you you let the story down a bit by saying, it's what's so interesting is the idea of this gaming community. I just, of course, that personalises it and it makes it relatable, but that is incidental to the revelations that are 
encapsulated in these documents, those are far more important than the fact that there is a massive security leak in in the US. That's very important, obviously, in terms of how the US's allies work with the US from now on and the Pentagon. And they have got a lot of rowing back and walking back of things to do with a lot of countries and a lot of um, security organizations, I would suggest. They are very much on the back foot, even though Biden is in in um, Ireland as I speak. Um, let's just park it there. I think, Katie, you, you made a very good case for your story to lead because Will's story sort of tells us what happened on February, as of February the 28th. Your story projects a really horrifying new international crisis that I don't think we're spending enough time on, personally. Um, the danger that China poses in terms of you know, world security, as well as economic security, it can hardly be encompassed in, a, in a one story. And again, you know, we're all focusing on whether Harry's coming to the coronation. So you're up against that mindset. Um, Jeevan, as the daughter of an environmentalist who actually wrote a lot of the clean water and clean air directives in Brussels, I personally feel very attached to your story. Uh, but I do think it can it can wait another week. Which brings us to the running order. And I think the lead for me this week, I think Katie's is the most important story because it's about the future, not about the past. And it's something that the world is has taken the eye off the ball on. And second, Will, I'd run your story about the Pentagon leaks. I think a lot more is going to come out. I think the story also has legs because we're seeing from the revelations more pickup, more development. So I think that's definitely second. But third, but only for this week, Jeevan, is sewage and the sewage dump. This is a hugely important domestic story and I much look forward to reading a very, very, very long piece about this with you possibly standing thigh high in some sewage. That's it for this week's news meeting. Thank you to Katie, Jeevan and Will for bringing the stories and to you for listening. Next week, Tortoise's Editor-in-Chief James Harding will be back with the first ever news meeting live recorded in front of an audience in the newsroom. He'll be joined by Tortoise editors Liz Mosley and Giles Wittell and the comedian Rosie Holt, MP. Join him and them next time. And in the meantime, please rate and review the show on whatever podcast app you use. Hello, I'm Giles Wittell, Tortoise's deputy editor. On the News Meeting podcast, we try to make sense of what should be leading the news with three guests who each pitched the story they think matters most. And once a month, we record a live episode in our newsroom. The next one is on the 27th of March, and I'm going to be joined by the brilliant author and podcaster Elizabeth Day. To come to the event and tell us what you think should lead the news, go to tortoisemedia.com forward slash book. That is tortoisemedia.com forward slash book.